Yes. Episode number 46, season 7, Faith in a Fresh Vibe. I'm your host, Real Hattie, coming at you from Treaty 7 Lands in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. You know the drill. Hey, could I encourage you to leave a rating, to subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. All of that helps to raise the profile of this little indie production. If you haven't picked up my latest book, When We Belong, No Time Like the Present, little preview of a surprise. There's going to be a bonus episode at the end of Season 7, and it's going to feature Marla and I as we talk about my book. But before we do that, my guest, Marla Taviano, she comes through to share about all of her books. We don't get to each one. She's an author and has written many. We stick around Unbelieve, which is her latest, a wonderful collection of poems that tracks her journey through deconstruction and walking away from white evangelicalism. This is a story that will draw in listeners who have been part or connected to that culture of evangelicalism. It tracks her journey out. And I find that so fascinating of the tools that she used to guide her journey and what she does now to help those who are engaged in a similar pathway. Marla wrote most of her books from the heart of evangelicalism. That was her jam. And we talk about what it means to find freedom and liberation on the other side. Quick tidbit. The second tidbit, Marla helped me author the study guide for When We Belong. She put it together, and I appreciate her work to help raise the profile of my book, When We Belong. This is slightly over an hour, so buckle in, take it into pieces, of course, or all at once. Marla Taviano, let's begin. Welcome to the show. I'm very excited to have you. You said uh, before seven published books, was it? Including ebooks? Did I get that n- number right? I don't know the exact number. I have four traditionally published books mm-hmm. back in the day, 2006 to 2009, and then nine, 10, 11 ebooks, yeah. and then this, this new one that I also self published, but it's also available in paperback. Unbelieve. It's a collection of vignettes of, of poems reflecting uh, a journey through deconstruction. Um, I, I may have slotted in that word deconstruction there. How would you describe that collection in Unbelieve? You're definitely right about the deconstruction. The, the subtitle is Poems on the Journey to Becoming a Heretic. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a few moments where I re- regretted putting that word on the cover, but I'd say 95% mm. of the time, I'm glad I did. Um, the reason I did, the, the main reason, um, was just <laughs> getting out ahead of anyone who wanted to argue with the book and say, well, based on what I read in here, you're a heretic. Well, I know that I'm a heretic by the evangelical definition of heretic. I will claim that, I know that. Um, what that word means or what worth or value it holds to me, um, 
it's not the same as it is to others, but I don't think anybody actually has the, the, the same idea. <laughs> or we wouldn't have all, all these denominations and all these fights and all these problems if we all agreed on what makes someone a heretic. Uh, but yes, it is my journey through what I would call deconstruction. We are going to loop back to the heresy, the heretic, what makes, we, we have to talk about that because um, right off the bat, you're, you're making me um, put on my boxing gloves and I'm ready to fight. Uh, Don't fight me. <laughs> no, 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 no. We'll, we'll create the straw man for that. Um, we'll fight together, I guess. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, before we jump into that, return to your books, because I think we'll use your books as markers for our conversation uh, into your narrative, into your story. But before we do, introduce us to Marla. Where are you currently situated and what are the traditional lands uh, that you currently inhabit? I live on the traditional lands of the Salaguerillai and Congaree peoples in what is now called Columbia, South Carolina. Unfortunately, Columbia is the first city in the United States named after the colonizer Christopher Columbus. I also spent over 10 years of my life in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> yep. So apparently I cannot get away from this, um, <laughs> this man. However, yeah. I am daily fighting against his legacy. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so I am in South Carolina. I've lived here for two years, five years. The five years prior to that, I was in um, Siem Reap, Cambodia with my family. And before that, 39 years in Ohio. The opening uh, description for your book, Unbelieve, the most recent one, which is should be available wherever books are sold, right? Because I know it's on Amazon. I think, does Amazon print it? Yeah, it, that's a long story, but it's only available on Amazon or through okay. me personally right now. It's the first one that I ever did all by myself. Um, my mm -hmm. ex-husband used to help me with that. And mm -hmm. um I didn't know much about this, so I just gave it a whirl. It was free to do it. It was it was easy. My my dream is to get um, books published by a real publisher again someday. But for now, <laughs> this is this is where I'm at. So I have some issues with Amazon, but I'm using mm -hmm. them for now to, yep. to no, get my I words get, out there. <laughs> yeah, I get it. It's um, it's a real book, so you don't need a real publisher and for any aspiring authors out there uh, to create and to publish your own book takes a special set of skills and commitment and you did it and it counts and uh, you don't need although sometimes it's nice uh, the approval of the big box publishers or even the, the tiny um, box publishers uh, to affirm your writing and Unbelieve describes um, your journey. I value the poems inside because they're just these snapshots of where you were at when you wrote the particular poem. The opening description on the Amazon page is there once was 
a very good Christian girl who had all the answers. It was so very simple, quite, quite clear. The Bible made it so. It all went according to plan for well over three decades, and then something happened. And so you'll have to buy the uh, book to find out uh, the rest <laughs> of that story. Without ruining the book, <laughs> you can't ruin a, a collection of poems, I don't think. It's impossible. What was the something that happened? You're right. I can't, um, I can't ruin the book of poems. Um, I will go back really quickly to what you said about a quote-unquote real publisher. Um, I have had four books published by traditional publishers, and I absolutely believe that my book is a real book and it is valuable and the feedback I get from mm -hmm. it every single day blows my mind. Um, my desire That's for awesome. a traditional publisher is to take some of the workload off of my shoulders, not mm. to validate, mm -hmm. <laughs> to mm -hmm. validate my writing. So, um, but I do know that that requires a, a big platform, a lot of different things. So I will slowly work through those things on my way and I'll self publish as many books as I need to, maybe forever. I, I do, mm -hmm. the one good thing is every single word that I wanted in this book is in this book. <laughs> mm -hmm. Nobody told me yeah, yeah. that I couldn't put it in there. I will say that I um, had 10 friends read through the book and give me their input, which is something I, I don't always do. But um, there were two black friends in particular. I wanted them to read through. There's a lot of um, poems that have to do with anti-racism and, and things like that. And I just wanted to make sure that that it was that it was good that I hadn't overlooked something that I hadn't let my my whiteness get in the way of something that I might have missed or so yeah but everything that I wanted to say is in there so what happened um, there's a poem in the book that my answer to what happened is books happened um, that's not the full story it wasn't just I read a book and my mind was changed but it kind of was that <laughs> I kind of did read a book and then another book and then another book. Growing up as a white evangelical Christian it was kind of understood that there was a set of books that, that were acceptable that you could read that um, that fit the narrative, really. And mm. I didn't see it that way. I saw it as these books are the truth and the other people don't have the truth and we are right and they are wrong as long as we read these acceptable books we can grow in our faith and know that we are staying true to scripture and everything um so opening my eyes by reading other books that might not have been approved that and them resonating with me and me not being able to see the lie like where is what is what is wrong here what is false about this it's it's all tracking it's all it's all cited there's all these there are all these facts um as far as things that weren't books, um, my first trip to Cambodia was a missions trip with our church in 2010. That kind of coincided with a book called The Hole in Our Gospel by Richard Stearns. And he was claiming that the gospel as we know it, which is Jesus died on the cross because we all sinned and he took his sins on us and all of that, like this, this gospel message there was a hole in that message if we were not caring for the poor around the world. 
And I mean, I was, I always consider myself a, a really good person, loving person, kind person, trying to be holy, trying to do things right. I've read the Bible front to back multiple times as early as I want to say when I was nine or 10, I had read the Bible straight through. And he's talking about all these verses about caring for the poor that we ignore in the Bible. And I'm thinking, what? And I start looking back through all these verses I'd already read. And I was like, wow, he is not kidding. He's not lying. This is true. (laughs) And all of the prophets and all, I mean, it's just, and I slowly started to realize that even though I was told that the whole entire Bible was God's inspired word, there were certain parts of it we honed in on and, and certain parts of it that we didn't care about and didn't apply to us or let the liberals talk about poor people and, and all of that. We care about salvation. Like that's what's important to us. Um, so that was a, kind of the first thing. And then after our trip to Cambodia, we um, helped a friend of ours, a black man, a pastor, plant a church that was a multi-ethnic church. And um, that's when everything started (laughs) to happen for me. So 2012 is another huge catalyst when Trayvon Martin was killed. And some of my new black friends at my church, one of them in particular, wrote on Facebook, why are none of my white friends talking about Trayvon Martin? Well, I have to go to Google because I'm like, who, what? I go to Google, I Google Trayvon Martin, I find out, and I, this is a slow, or maybe it was fast, a realization that there's a whole world of events and things going on that I'm oblivious to because of the color of my skin. I am white, and that means that I get a pick. Do I care about this? Do I care about this? Do I want to know about this? Do I what what do I want? And that's all that I have to know. And that's all that I have to care about. So now that some of my closest friends are black and they care very deeply about this, that that makes it something that I want to care deeply about. So we start having these talks at our church about racism and police shooting. And I start learning about history and I mean, it was, they talk about a slippery slope. Like they warn you, if you start one thing, you're going (laughs) to go down this slippery slope. Well, yeah, absolutely. There's no question. It was a slippery slope because every single thing I started to have my eyes open to led to something else. And it was, it was like, wait a minute, if the Christians were wrong about this, then what about this? If they told me this is how history happened and it didn't, then what about this? And what does this mean? And what about, and on and on and on and on. And it was, um, (laughs) since so much of it is in my past right now, I sometimes forget how hard it was and how much it hurt when people who had loved me forever started to hear me speak in different ways um, and decided that they did not want to be part of my life anymore. For me, um, it was a little bit different because we moved to Cambodia in January 2015. So we had helped play at this church 2009, 2010. We're going through all this and then we leave the country. So as things are ramping up to um, Trump being elected and all of this, we are on the other side of the globe. So we're keeping tabs on it and we're watching it and all of this, but we're not 
in the United States or outside. So I'm learning U.S. history and all this from Asia. <laughs> and I'm following along um, with all of this politics, everything that's going on. And um, so there wasn't quite the same the same experience that some of my friends in the States had. And I was no longer in a white evangelical church. I was in a multi-ethnic church where these things were being addressed. Maybe not, um, we might not have all been on the same page. They might not have been as liberal as I started to become, but I, I didn't have the experience of being in a church that I either got kicked out of or had to leave or whatever. It actually did happen to us in Cambodia. <laughs> there was a, a church that was um, that we left in Cambodia for that for those reasons and some other reasons. Um, but yeah, it was a little bit different. So then coming back to the States in 2020, in the middle of a pandemic, in an election year, <laughs> um, into a new place where I, we, we were, from Ohio and moved back to South Carolina and we couldn't leave our house anyway. So even today, we're still not really completely plugged into our local community very well, just in bits and pieces. But all of the people right now that are waking up to things, especially people who, who woke up to things in 2020 with George Floyd's murder in the States, um, their experience is different. Um, I feel like I had already gone through so much of that. Um, so it was it was diff different for me, still hard. Um, but I'm not in this space anymore where I care to belong in a group that does not want me. <laughs> so, so that part is over for me. As I capture pieces of unbelieve, it's um makes a lot of sense as you share your story that some of the key catalysts in your life and the challenges to your perception of faith came through relationship. But there's a lot of theological baggage to process uh, that you processed and that you are processing through this book that would it be fair then to say the development of a sense of cognitive dissonance or theological dissonance between what your relationships were telling you and what you had been formed and shaped in, uh, that the as the foundations started to crack, it was more than just questions surrounding race, for example, or justice, that it was much wider than that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, um, again, I'm not sure I know exactly as far as the Bible goes and theology and what I learned and what I believed, I'm not sure the progression, uh, like which came first, the chicken or the egg, like was it mm. different events that happened or people I met and then I had to go back to the scriptures. I know for the, the, the thing that started it off where um, Richard Stearns was saying, there's a hole in your gospel if you're not caring for 
the poor in physical, tangible ways. And then me going back to the scripture and seeing, oh yes, it, it does. <laughs> it does say all of those things. I think too, part of it was meeting people outside. Like when we started this new church, there were people coming from all different backgrounds to start this new church together. So for the first time I was meeting people who didn't mm -hmm. grow up in my same kind of bubble. So they're thinking yeah. um, we came with different ideas about things. So then looking at the Bible and thinking, wait a minute, is this way that I've been taught? Like, does that, is that what it even says? And then learning another language, we learned the Khmer language in Cambodia and um, I, like, I, I can't speak it very well. I, I learned to read it, which, um, was a, an accomplishment I'm very proud of because I didn't think that I could do it. When I first looked, the, the Khmer script is, is similar to Japanese, Chinese, Korean. It's not ABCD. It's, it's a different script. And when I first looked at these letters, I couldn't, I couldn't tell the difference between any of them. They didn't make sense to my mind they look like pictures not like what i know as letters so i learned this language i learned how to read and i have a tutor who is 16 years old i'm paying her to tutor me and Kamai, and we start reading the new testament together in Kamai and english and she would help me pronounce the words and then we would she would ask questions and i would try to explain things and that was another catalyst because there was, there's one example I remember she was, it, it was about circumcision, something in the, in the New Testament about circumcision. Well, the Kamai script said literally cut skin. That's all that it said. There is no circumcision in Cambodia. <laughs> and so the word for that was cut skin. Well, no, no Kamai reading the, this Bible is going to have any idea what it's even talking about that's not hmm. even that there's nothing and i thought how many words and cultures like this is this is a different culture but the the bible was written thousands of like two thousand years ago or whatever in a completely different culture with different ideas and different things who is to say <laughs> that these words got translated hmm. into how mm -hmm. I think? And there was another part we started reading, like the, the whole Bible then got translated. We got a copy of the entire Bible. We're reading through Genesis or Exodus. And there's a part about Miriam getting leprosy and her skin is white as snow, I think it says in the English Bible. Well, it says a word for like a cotton plant in, in the Khmer version because there's also no snow in Cambodia. Like there's not, snow is not mm. something that you compare something white to. This is just a small example of me starting to think, wait, this isn't the original language. This isn't, these letters that Paul wrote, he's writing them specifically to someone. Did Paul really know that I was gonna be reading mm. these letters? And, and am I supposed to do what my pastor says, Paul said, and, and just, and I just started tearing all of it apart and haven't quite figured out how, <laughs> how to put it all together, but it definitely mm. no longer holds the same weight for me where something says that the Bible says this, so you have to do this. Yeah. And I can say, I, I don't, 
I don't believe that because yeah. I, no. I don't believe that was for me or I believe that goes against love. So love that I, a word I used to make fun of when people would say, Oh, it's just all about love. And like, it's no, it's not all about love. It's about truth. It's about sin. It's about, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and now yeah. that really is my filter. If something mm-hmm. in the Bible is not loving, it doesn't feel like love to me or to the person that, that is experiencing it. Um, then I'm not, I'm not buying it. I'm not into that. Um, that came really into play um, with affirming gay marriage and the LGBTQ community, where I no longer care what the Bible says about two men lying together. Um, but I've done a lot of research since then and found that even all of those words, like homosexual mm-hmm. being put into the Bible in 1946 mm-hmm. when it never mm-hmm. was, and again, mm-hmm. context. And so, when you start studying things on your own, which is dangerous, um, you find that <laughs> a lot when you're not just listening to one older white male pastor telling you what to believe and how to interpret yeah. things, yeah, then um, it, it, it changes everything. <laughs> you had alluded to earlier about the... Uh, these weren't the precise words, but the cost uh, of shifting, the cost of deconstructing. Because as I read some of the titles of your of your books, uh, I don't think the listeners, unless they see them as well, can appreciate that uh, you were represented really the heart of white evangelicalism. Like that was culturally where you were situated. Um, the, I, I'm going to read some of the titles, okay? Okay. Oh, boy. Um, and then I definitely, we're going to have to have like an aside to talk about the book of farts because anything that is going to talk about farts is a-okay with me because farts That's are awesome. both free and hilarious. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to farts in a moment. But we, I'm just reading some here. Uh, Blushing Bride to Wedding Wife. A Girlfriend's Guide to What Marriage is Really Like. Um, Is that all he thinks about? I think there's a theme here around uh, marriage and sex. Um, Mm -hmm. How to enjoy great sex with your your husband. Uh, And a couple around uh, kids and family. The Husband's Guide to Getting Lucky. I feel like there was another... uh, Another I mean, it's funny now, but... uh, (laughs) It felt like you could have been a little riskier with the cover art there. Um, and then and then some other ones, uh, Unschooling Manifesto. And um, and then one of the books that you said you still get royalties for, which is always cool, um, Expecting, Praying you, for Your Child's Development, Body and Soul. So a, a lot of these pieces really reflect what, uh, I'll use broader terms now, culturally, folks who are deconstructing white evangelicalism would might develop hives around uh, <laughs> some of the, these topics. Like there's a lot of um, unlearning. Um, there's a lot of potential sources of trauma here in, in, in the topics that you wrote a book around. And so draw us into this space because where you were and also the fact that you are a thought leader 
from the center of of this evangelical culture that many of us I grew up in, that many of us grew up in, to come into the space that you are, I I both affirm and see you in the amount of grief and loss that in, still must incur onto yourself, your body, your soul. Um, so yeah, talk talk to us about share share about <laughs> oh, because at one point th- these were good ideas. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, um, yeah, I was a I was a poster child for white evangelical everything, marriage, motherhood, anything that you needed. I was there. Um, so yes, my first book, I, I, I've always loved to write. And so I actually, I actually self-published a book that I always forget about. I did my student teaching um, for college on the island of Okinawa, Japan. And mm-hmm, I self-published mm-hmm. a memoir about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then my first traditionally published book was From Blushing Bride to Wedded Wife. And it was basically... I love to write. And what should I write about? Well, I'll write about my life. Well, what's my life? Well, yeah, I've been yeah. married for six years. <laughs> I'll write about that, yeah, yeah. which is so ironic. Um, and actually how the sex book came about was the publisher approached me after my first book and said, what could you write for us next? And I said, well, I don't really know, but here are some suggestions. And one of them was a book about sex because I had taken out a huge Section. I had to delete mm. like 50,000 words from my first book. It was so yeah. long. And there was <laughs> yeah, a bunch yeah. of stuff about sex. And it. she emailed me immediately, write the book about sex. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, this is really happening. Yeah. <laughs> so I did Sounds that. Sounds like they're pro-sex. Um, <laughs> yeah. But well, only yeah, certain I, kinds okay. of sex. <laughs> yes. And I have not had the courage to go back and read this book yet. That's on my list of going back. <laughs> okay. And so my journey is right it. there. Okay. Uh, no, absolutely not. And there's an appendix in my book, Unbelieved, that's other books I've written. And it's yeah. at the end, Appendix yeah. G, and it, yeah. it goes through and warns you of all of the books that <laughs> wow. you should not <laughs> you should not read of mine. Um, but I was going around to groups, women's groups, mm-hmm. um, speaking about sex. That was a super hot topic because... I guess not a lot of still evangelical Christian women w- were willing to go around and talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Rohati, I even got invited to a men's retreat. It was a weekend retreat, 175 yep. men, yeah, Christian yep. men. Yep. And I talked to them about sex all weekend. <laughs> um, I have a friend. This is a funny story that just happened last week. My friend, Stacey Chomiak, wow. she just wrote a book, which I recommend to everyone. It's called Still Stace. And it's my queer Christian coming of age story, I think is what it's called. It's like a graphic memoir. It's beautiful. But she lives in, in near Vancouver. And she was she texted me because she's on the train to go record the audiobook for her for her book. And She's like, Marla, I'm so nervous. I'm going to be talking about sex, like in front of all these sound engineers and all these people. And I was like, listen, Stace, once I got up in front of 175 men and talked about sex all weekend. So you could do this. (laughs) Um, So that was my that was my life. Like I was I, I don't know. I guess it was it seemed normal to me. 
Um, so the, the book expecting that you said is still in print. That was in 2009. And that was right around when I started questioning things. So, um, a couple of my books went out of print because it was right around the time when the, the internet was just getting going, or at least my 32 year old self started finding out about the internet. So I hadn't told people about my book. And when you're not a big name author, the publisher expects you to go around and, and tell people. So that's the sad story about that. But I started self-publishing. Um, and again, it was just kind of my journey. So I wrote one about Cambodia. I wrote one. Uh, my husband had a heart attack at age 34 and almost died, had three years of panic attacks and anxiety. So I wrote an ebook called The Storm. We unschooled our daughters. So I wrote about that. That book, funny enough, it's in 2014, I, I released that ebook, The Unschooling Manifesto. Mm -hmm. And every week I'm still selling copies of that ebook. And I'll get excited because I think people have bought Unbelieve, the ebook, and then I'll check and it's Unschooling Manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> um, because apparently that's something. So that one, I'm not um, ashamed of. I mean, I might not believe all the things that are in it, but it's um, I'm still cool with unschooling. I wrote a second unschooling book, and I might write a little bit more about that. And that's another story altogether. Um, but then, yes, what what makes you fart is um, yes, the, let's the dive book into that, that I <laughs> yeah, 2017, and the the story behind that is um, I would fart anytime I was in a bookstore. And we started talking once, we were sitting around a fire with some of my family and that somehow got on this topic. And I wanted to see if anybody else did the same thing and they did not, but they would tell me about other places they fart. When I'm out in nature, I fart. One person did say when I'm in a bookstore, I do fart, but I think it's because I can smell the coffee and I really love coffee. Like I don't care about books so much. So I just developed this theory and I tried to find scientific research to back it up. And there really isn't any, but it does make sense. It's, I, I found one blog article, a massage therapist was saying that when people are really relaxed on her massage table, they will often fart. And so it is that anytime that you are calm and anytime that your body is working how it's supposed to, then there comes the gas. When you are, when things are messed up or blocked up, then you're constipated, no gas. So same with your happy place for me. There's something about books are my favorite thing. So I walk <laughs> in and I did find an article is written by it, it actually, I can't remember her name, but it's a phenomenon named after a Japanese woman. And it's, they called it like having to poop when you go in a bookstore, they didn't say farting, but that it was like this phenomenon. They were trying to figure it out on Wikipedia even, and they didn't make the connection that it's because you love books. It's not because of this, that they're trying to figure it out. But um, so I came up with this thesis statement that if you could find out what makes you fart, then that's your calling in life. Like that's what you love, that's what you wanna do. Because when I would go around and speak to groups of women, this is after the, the sex talk, I would talk about other things. Um, it's so many women would come up to me and say, I don't know what I love. I don't know what I'm passionate about. I don't know what I want. And I didn't realize this at the time. I realize it now. It's because in evangelical Christian culture, 
women are largely defined by who they are married to and who they gave birth to. So mm -hmm. you are a wife, you are a mother, that's mm -hmm. your value and that's your identity. If like in the event that you're no longer married or your kids have flown the nest or you're unable to have children or you aren't yeah. married, mm -hmm. then what are, what are you? Who are you? What is your purpose in life? So yeah. it's, it's, um, it sucks. Like I hate it, but so many people would ask me that. So I have always had this deep passion for helping other people find what they're passionate about. And I, I'm really passionate about creative expression. And I, for me, it's, it's writing, like the words come in when I read and they go out when I write and I have to get everything out in writing. I know, I think a large percentage of people do express themselves through writing. Um, some hmm. would like to and don't don't have the time or don't make the time, but there's so many ways that you can express yourself creatively. And I think we lose that. Part of my unschooling thing is that kids are five years old and they're sitting in desks and they're put through all this um, learning all these things that end up being irrelevant by the time they're done or they have to learn at the same pace as everybody else. And when they get out of school, mm. how many of them know what they want to do with their lives? Not a lot of them. They didn't have time to creatively explore and express themselves as unique and individual humans. So yeah, that, that the fart book, I'm going to do more with that. I have a thing called whole farted um, where I think that if you do something with your whole heart or your whole fart, <laughs> like do it with everything in you Then I know it's like kind of, <laughs> it's weird. Like I've got all this serious stuff going on in my life. And then over here, it's, like, it's not weird. But, um, it's actually genius. <laughs> Well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I but want... what if you're farting all the time? Are you just content with life? Like, what is that indicative <laughs> so. of? Or maybe it's just so. some gastrointestinal issues. It's either or, maybe. really. How about mountain mm. climbing? Just... <laughs> you know like, what? You just I, think I, about it. Get back to me. I, I you do. Don't I, have to, I, I, won't put, I have to process I won't put it you on the spot. Well, because I'm not really uh, tracking myself with my farts, you know, <laughs> like I uh, maybe I'll no, put together we, we some type of that. fart meter or journal about it because okay. make then an I'll, app. Could you make an app? <laughs> a fart app. You press it every time. It makes just a little sound every time. <laughs> okay, okay so good. I want to make the app. You can't make the app. <laughs> it's going to be part of my PhD, part of my thesis thing. That's true. You just give everyone a free download. Oh, my gosh. See? It's fantastic. I think I felt like we've solved quite a bit for a lot of people. Uh, everybody poops so and everyone yeah. farts too. And now you have a window into your gifts and ability. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yep, you really do. I Thank gotta, you. And you're welcome. I'm, I'm, believe me, I'm holding back here and all my jokes. <laughs> Well, that I would say that that derailed us, but it, it hasn't. It, uh, it it's a nice um, interlude and also a reflection of your of your writing that the things you you love to write and that you will find these connection points. 
Um, but let's go back to your your books, Poster Child. You, you said the Poster Child of White Evangelicalism or Evangelicalism. Um, I'm not sure you said the white part, although it would be. I did um, say the white part, I think. If not, I yeah. meant it. <laughs> the, yeah, okay. And so culturally, that's the space. And then th there becomes these, these markers, these uh, points that become incongruent with your beliefs and things start to fall apart for you? Was it the beliefs that start to uh, push against the foundations and you start to see cracks? or Because from where you were, and this is in a, in a faith realm at least, from where you were to where you are now and the writing that you're producing and the content that you have, uh, they are in two polar opposite places. You start seeing cracks through relationships, um, also challenges into scripture, like the very skills that you have. But for this 180 shift, it's it's as though the entire house of cards have, has come down. Is that um, fair? It is. It's absolutely fair. Um, I I think what I started to find as I, I don't know if it's like scales, you know, the evangelicals on one side and then the other beliefs on the other. And as each one, I start to hmm. realize that something I adamantly fought against as a Christian is actually more loving or more true or things that I were taught that are um, now I realize were blatant falsehoods or rewriting history that, I mean, U.S. history, if you read it from the white evangelical Christian hmm. point of view or just the white point of view at all, um, is a very different history than if you read the same exact events written from the perspective of someone who was marginalized during that time. So as I'm reading, not only am I it's not only contradicting like what I learned, I'm learning things that I never knew happened. Like even today, yeah. hmm. I'm, I'm reading a book called America for Americans by Professor Erica Lee. And it's the history of xenophobia in the United States. Hmm. And um, <laughs> I mean, I've learned quite a bit over the years about this, but I don't ever remember reading about um, and you talk about this in your book, right? The the internment of Japanese people during the war. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I don't remember ever learning about that in school. I've learned about that in the last five years. And then I'm reading from all of these first person, like memoirs and perspectives from mm -hmm. that. That was not in my textbook. If it was, it was completely glossed over. Yeah. Or the Chinese Exclusion Act or different immigration things. I knew about Ellis Island and what a beautiful place it was for immigrants to come. Did not know about Angel Island, where immigrants from Asia were often detained, deported if one little thing was wrong. Many of them died there. This is the history of the country that I live in, but I only know the parts that are, hmm, that are reflecting positively on white people yeah. right and yeah, and i only know the parts of christianity that are mm -hmm. reflecting positively on christians 
So when I started to learn, wait a minute, this isn't true. And this isn't true. And this isn't true. And then I think, wait, these people fighting for these rights, they are, they have legitimate cause. Like they are, they really are being mistreated. There really is huge systemic racism. Like all of the things that had I'd been told were not true. And then I'm seeing code names for things. Like the way that we talk about things is is how we can get away with being racist. Like we can talk about mm -hmm. it in a different way. We can mm -hmm. talk about law and order. Well, that sounds mm -hmm. great. What it means is this, we can talk mm -hmm. about a war on drugs. Yes. What it means is a war on black people. So mm -hmm. what, <laughs> what I have found, I, I don't know that I can think of any part that didn't get flipped around mm -hmm. to where I, I just see white evangelical Christianity as the bad guys. Like, mm. I mean, I know that there are people with hearts that want to love. I think they're misguided. I think they've been sold a bunch of lies, um, mm. but it's not, I mean, there are a lot of quote unquote innocent people. I, that that's maybe that's not the right word. Like I don't, I wasn't innocent. I was ignorant. Like I didn't know. I didn't know that that I was perpetuating harm. I didn't know about my white privilege. I didn't know what was going on. Um, but once you have your eyes opened and you do know, then you're responsible to do something about it. So I don't know at this point which of the people that are still fighting for the things that I used to fight for, that I'm now on the other side. I don't know how many of those people are ignorant and they think really truly believe that they are doing what's right and what's godly and what's holy and which ones know what they're doing mm -hmm. and they know it's about power and they know that they're deceiving people mm. and they don't care because they'll be worse. stomp yeah. all over everybody yeah yeah i wonder i hope it's a small number the, the last when when people ask me the progression like of my slippery slope, I don't think everybody's slippery slope or their crumbling wall or whatever looks exactly the same. Um, I will say that the last piece to fall for me, the most recent piece, hmm. um, was the pro-life, pro-choice piece, which is now going on. The U.S. Supreme Court is yeah. overturning Roe versus yeah. Wade. So for the longest time. Even though I was like, now I see the racism, now I see the white supremacy, now I um, affirm gay relationships and gay people, like all of those things, still that the abortion piece was a tough one for me because I, I was like, I don't, I don't want unborn babies to die. Um, but the more I read and the more I learn and the, especially the history of the the evangelical Christians fight against abortion and how they, none of them cared. They didn't care in 1979. Some of these leading mm -hmm. men who were fighting against it when I was growing up in 1979 said, no, a fetus is not a human. They didn't care. They didn't care until desegregation came about. They were going to have to desegregate their universities and they needed this, what this, way to get in power like all these things you learn in history and to this day do i want someone to have an abortion well what i my my stance now is 
you do what you, it's your body. Like that's what I, what I believe. And so that was like the last piece. And I can't think of any other pieces that the evangelical Christians are holding on to that they are right about <laughs> that, mm. that the other people are, are wrong about. Um, and so I'm just seeing that the control, the power, the white supremacy, the Christian supremacy, the nationalism, it's just, in and through everything and this entire country was built it was built this way it was created this way when people say this isn't who we are we're not we're not racist we're not this we're not that yes we are we came here we stole land we stole people this people plowed and cultivated and grew things on the land that we stole we killed anybody who got in our way if they wanted their, to fight for their land um it's a horrid history and it it hasn't it hasn't stopped i recently went to mm. the legacy museum which is six hours away in alabama mm. and it's the story of slavery to mass incarceration and it's a pipeline and there's mm. not one minute in u.s history that yeah. is not yeah. connected it's, it's a thread that it goes from 400, 500 years ago to 2022. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm just just as passionate as I was about making sure that everybody knew about Jesus and how to get to heaven. <laughs> I'm now just as passionate that they know the truth of everything. And I think I just finished your book last night. Congrats mm -hmm. on your okay. book that's coming out. I'm sorry that I got a copy of your book before you did. <laughs> like I got mine I, I two remember, weeks ago, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I sent you a photo and you're like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, no, I knew um, you'd get it before me. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know where it, it, it ends. Like the, the, whole, the whole love, the whole Jesus thing, the whole everything. Like as I was reading through your book and so many parallels that I saw between my story and your story and the things that we're waking up to and what is there left to hold on to, or what is there left to reclaim or how do we do that? Or, or how do we, I don't know. You, you talk about how you're not like you have friends, like friends of color in particular who are trying to change things from within Christian institutions. And I've had people ask me that, like, why don't you stay and try to change things from the inside? For me personally, I can't stay in a place where it's that's still harming people that I that I mm -hmm. love. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I can't I can't do that. And so for me, I'm even willing to give up being a Christian altogether if it means that I can love people better. Like if me being a Christian gets in the way of them being able to feel loved by me, um, I just don't want to put that in between us. Like it doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter as much to me. And I know, well, I won't give away your book either, but just talking about all of the things that can fall away and then there's still Jesus. And that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to figure out right now how do I feel about Jesus? Do I need Jesus anymore now that I have the things that Jesus taught me? And I I know like <laughs> front and back, I'm like, okay, thanks, Jesus. That was great. I'm gonna go <laughs> I'm gonna go now and live in love. I'll take all the things that you taught me. Mm. And 
I'll tell you what, there's a freedom in not having to mm. defend like apologetics and defending theological yeah. <laughs> stances and stuff. Because what happens is I realized why it was so stressful to defend that stuff because half of it wasn't true. Yeah, you don't <laughs> like have the I had to, yeah. I had to use my brain to somehow make things make sense <laughs> yeah. that weren't Ooh. right. And that's, mm. that goes against everything I was trying to do in the first place. So not having to do that anymore is wildly freeing. Well, um, that, that was part of the next question I was going to ask is whether the space that you're in now, whether it is in a faith perspective, so not just on the matters of, say, apologetics, but whether outside of the 180 from where you were 10 15, 20 years ago, whether you feel more free now, is this what freedom looks like? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely feel more free, hmm. 100%. Like, it's just so freeing. I There have been times when I thought, you know what, I'm just going to kiss this all goodbye and say, goodbye, Christianity, that was fun, this is a new place, I'm moving forward. Um, I've been talking to a couple people recently about how I cannot let it go, but it's not, it's not really that I can't let it go. It's I can't leave people behind. Like I have this deep love for people who are either still in the thick of it or on the edges or, or whatever. And I had a dream once, I won't go into the whole dream. It's kind of personal. And I've always wanted to have dreams that I felt like meant something yeah, yeah. in this particular dream involved me leaving a, a particular person in my life behind. I was driving a truck, which I've never owned a truck in my life and I'm driving this truck. And I, um, I knew I had left the person behind, but I made up a story about it. And then when I got to the place, I was like, shoot, I know I left this person behind. I will go back and get them. So I go back, get the person. They're so grateful. They get in the truck and we go on to our destination. And I just felt like this was a divine dream that, mm -hmm. that I was not supposed to leave this particular person behind, which has been a very big struggle for me the last five years, I would say. And also that there are other people that I'm not to leave behind. So as I read books by people who have nothing to do with Christianity and I learn new things and I um, learn about history and I make new friends, I also have a foot kind of planted. Um, like I will read, I will read books like yours that are um, from Christian publishers about Christian things. I have mm. a lot of friends whose books I read. Now, I will say, I don't read many books by white authors yeah. <laughs> who are Christians. There Me are too. like maybe three, <laughs> three that I will read. <laughs> um, but I, I think too, I just have this um, unique experience that I want to use. I, like when you talk about me being doing a 180 or being all the way over on this side and this poster child all the way to now, that means that I am uniquely qualified to help 
people Mm -hmm. who want to learn some of the things that I have learned. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying they have to come all the way to where I am. That's, that's not what I'm saying. Um, But I know their world. I know what they're thinking. I know all of these things. I was just talking to my oldest daughter the other day. She's 21 and she was six. I can't do the math right now. 2008. um, I voted for John McCain against Barack Obama. Why? Because he was a Republican and a pro-life candidate. Right. So my six year old comes home from school. And she says it on the bus that her friend was telling her that her parents are voting for Barack Obama. And my daughter told this other six-year-old, well, my parents aren't voting for Barack Obama because Barack Obama wants to kill babies. Like, this is what (laughs) my six-year-old. Now, did I say that? That's not what I, I don't remember saying those exact words, but that's the kind of mentality I had that this is why we don't vote for Democrats because they are fine with abortion and abortion is murder. And That's so why on you and so vote forth. for Trump. So, yep. Yeah. So I have this, there are very few things about the evangelical mind that I don't <laughs> understand very, very, very well because <laughs> I was right there in it. So mm. I feel like, um, I don't know how long I'll do it. Maybe the rest of my life that I will always try to, to be some kind of of bridge now that's just the people who want to have anything to do with me um there are a lot of people (laughs) that have um either formally or informally dismissed me from their lives and and don't want me to be a part of their lives anymore not not too many that i care about anymore just one there's one person in my life um that i love very much who decided that she could not be um, a part of my life. But, but yeah, I, I love, I, I, I cannot get over, I, I wish my book was selling more, but also every single day, every day, mm-hmm. I get messages from people yeah. who that's so good. somehow found out about it and said, I can't believe that you, t- this is my story. Like this is mm. my story or it's not quite my story, but I've been wanting to write my story out and you've inspired me to do this. Or I couldn't think of the words for this. This is exactly, I mean, it goes on and on and on and on and on. So there are, there are a lot of people, like a lot, lot, lot of people who, um, who know what I'm talking about, who know what I'm feeling. I'm yeah. not alone. I, I've had people yeah. tell me, you're the only person, Marla, that I that I can talk to this about. I don't, nobody yeah. else in my life understands. I know so many people. I mean, granted, they're mostly on the internet, but they are real friends who know exactly, like I could I could literally go to any of 200 people right now and, and talk to them about something and they would get it because I've formed these communities online and and talk to people about this and and i'm ahead of the game in a lot of ways with some some other people who have just started doing this um because i've been putting stuff out there things as i worked through them back in in 2012 2015 um and yeah it i didn't do it all really the best way probably (laughs) 
I didn't there, go there no to any classes or do any therapy. I did a, a lot class. of shame. Based. <laughs> a social media no, I don't class, know. maybe. <laughs> On Instagram. Yeah, I, I shamed people a lot. I think that's maybe one of my biggest regrets is um, hmm. as I start learning about racism, yeah. it's like, you're all racist. All of us are racist. And yeah. we are. Um, but I found, <laughs> we, you are, I found but new ways. The shame. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I found new ways to talk about it. And I five years ago, I started the bookstagram white girl learning where I read right, and review yeah. books by yeah. black indigenous people of color. And that is a positive space where come to this space if you want to learn if you mm -hmm. care. Mm -hmm. Whereas my Facebook wall is all the people who thought I was <laughs> from the past the Marla life. who wrote from blushing bride to wedded wife. <laughs> yeah. oh, and they're like, <laughs> who are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Would it be fair to say, as we roll to a close here, that the space you in you're in now um, leaves you hopeful for whatever is to come? I am hopeful. Yes, I'm. I'm hopeful because I don't know any other way to be. Um, I do feel like things are happening every day in in this country in the u.s i'm sure in canada as well that feel like backward steps that feel like things that we're fighting for equality and justice they should have happened by now and not only have they not happened but they're they're going backwards i feel like when i see white evangelical christians digging their heels in and being downright cruel and hateful like the yeah. words coming out of their mouths are so hateful and and trump brought that out in people it was already there i'm sure he can't just turn people into mean horrible people if they weren't already <laughs> wanting to be that in their hearts um on the surface sometimes it's really discouraging and really mm. Hard. And and the more I learn about the civil rights movement in the U.S. and all these things that people fought so hard for, I read James Baldwin, and he's writing in the '60s and '70s things that could be that are still true today. Like we should have fixed this. We should have made it better. James Baldwin's words should be history, not hmm. the present. I feel hope because there are people. I've had people come to me four years after they unfriended me because they were offended by a post I wrote on racism and say, I get it now. I, I was really mad at you then. And I've learned mm. a lot and I get it now. Could we be friends again? <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and I've, you, I've seen, like, yeah. <laughs> but no, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I will welcome them back. Um, and I, I've seen people that I never would have thought that they, um, mm. that they mm. would have woken up to things. I met two women when I went to the, to the Legacy Museum, two women in their 70s, white women from North Carolina, so in the South. Yeah. And one of them grew up and had a black woman as her, like her servant or her nurse or some in her home, there was a, a black woman who was th their servant. Um, she, both of these women in their 70s are on this anti-racist journey, learning everything they can, telling their peers about this. I met another, like I met three 70-year-old white women in the span of 
like two weeks that are they're just yeah. gung-ho fighting this um my 86 year old great uncle who was kind of the black sheep of our family when i was growing up because he believed in gay rights and and different yeah. things he's a united methodist minister and i'm sure he wasn't really saved and <laughs> he he bought 10 copies of my book to pass out to people okay, I, I remember that story write his story and so he's fighting for civil rights gay yeah. rights all this stuff back when and so he gives me hope like and just opening my eyes to see and just doing whatever i can like i just want to share truth i, I want to bring one thing i marked this in your in your book that um i would say that half of the things that I'm, i i wrote all over your book and i'm kind of sad about it because it's an advanced copy which means it's not a final copy of the book i never write in advanced copies of books because <laughs> i want to write in the final copy so I don't know if I'm going to reread it and write again or what, but, and now I don't know where this part is, but somewhere you're talking about justice and you just have all of the, okay. It's on page 161. God is a God of justice. He loves justice. Mm. His foundation is justice. You go through all of the, um, the verses about this. And I, this, the person in my life who disowned me <clears throat> at one point, <clears throat> excuse me, she said, that I, she said that she cares about truth and Marla cares about justice. So that's yeah. like where we're yeah. different. Like I'm all yeah. worried about justice and she is yeah. worried about the truth. Um, and I wrote a poem in the book about it because, well, a lot of things, but there is no truth without justice. Mm. And honestly to there's, there's no justice without truth. Like that, the justice that needs to happen today, we have to admit the truth of what caused this injustice. And that's part of the, of the problem. Um, so I see, I see hope when people are having their eyes opened to things. Mm. And I just want to keep telling them, sharing them, anyone who will listen to me, I want to, <laughs> to tell. Um, and I, it, it's it's weird how all the stuff, I mean, even the fart book, like all the things in my life that have kind of fixed together, like all of my passions that I have. So my passion for the Bible and what it means, my passion for people in other countries, my passion for anti-racism, my passion for learning the truth of history, um, it all just kind of goes together. And the, the bottom line really is loving my neighbor. So when I talk about... Um, what parts of the Bible am I going to keep loving my neighbor as myself means that whatever I want for me, that's what I want for my neighbor. And it's mm -hmm. not the exact thing. It's, it's not, if I want to be in a straight marriage, then you should be in a straight marriage. It's if I want to love someone that I want to love, then I want you to love who you want to love. If mm -hmm. I want to not be discriminated against when I go in this place or try to buy this house or whatever, then I don't want mm. you to be. If I can get a job that pays this, I want you to get that. Mm. If I have clean water and you're in Flint, Michigan, and your water is poisoned and the government's not doing anything about it, I don't, I want you to have clean water. Um, so part of what I've done with my bookstagram, I'm a writer and I want people to read my words. So what am I doing? I want to pay money for these 
these books. I want to read the words. I want to share them and use my platform then to make sure mm. that everybody else finds out about these books. Cause that's what I would want someone to do for me. Like that's eventually what I want. Mm. And the, the, the ironic thing maybe, and it's not ironic. I'm glad it's happening this way. I have, like six times more followers on my white girl learning page than yeah. I do on my personal page. And my personal page is the platform that I have to get up in numbers if I want to get a traditionally published book. But what I love is I'm serious about this. Like I mean it, I want, this is what I want to do. It is a labor yeah, yeah. of love. And I have met the most incredible people. I've read the most incredible books. I, it, uh, and it's, I don't know. That's it's what makes me fart is what it is, what it is, is all of these things that's coming the end. together. Yeah, I'm the just going to fade it right there on fart. You okay, did it, me. not me. Fade out. And that, <laughs> but and it's ministry, you know, it, it counts. It's your prophetic call into the space to share with. Uh, and I see also your pastoral heart of of not wanting to leave anyone behind that's very that's a shepherding gift and those things all count and it's and it's good good work not that you need my affirmation but it's good work